back so glad uh, that we won yesterday at BT Dubs. I hadn't been to a football game in like, I don't know, five years. Uh, that has nothing to do with this morning. I was just excited about it. Uh, but we uh, beat them, in case you didn't know. But we uh, live in a very interesting world, okay? We live in a very interesting time in America. I'll tell you, it's because uh, we currently are seeing the rise of the tattoo, okay? Like, it's happening right now, in case you weren't aware. Just for my own personal knowledge, how many of us in the room right now, how many of us have a tattoo? Okay, all right, excellent. Okay, just getting a feel for it. Now you're like, what, Jimmy, you do? Right, but... (laughs) Where? <laughs> right, but, uh, right, so that's exciting, right, because uh, that's actually a little bit lower than I was expecting, because in America right now, actually 21% of Americans have a tattoo. About 45 million people in our nation have some sort of permanent ink on their body. And I love this. I love this because you can now see them, right? Like, it's not just like I go get a tattoo and I show my friends and we all know about it, right? No, someone takes a picture and puts it online for the entire world to see. And so we are getting to see just amazing, amazing tattoos on people's bodies. Uh, I just looked up just a few, just a few. Found beauties like these, all right? It's a little bit hard to see. It's a little washed out. In case you can't tell, the left is a rooster that lives to kill, right? Terrifying. And the other one's just a hot dog, and I love it. Like, that's possibly one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Right, and we see, we see things like this, and some of them are a little questionable, right? Like you, maybe you're thinking, oh, I would maybe never, probably never get those, you know? Maybe you think, well, um, you know, in case I did want to tell the world that I'm awesome, it probably doesn't want to look like Amsom, or I don't really, I can't really tell what that is, right? But we see these tattoos, we see that people are trying to put these messages on their bodies, right? It's, I think it's supposed to be no regrets, in case you can't tell. Until now, now he probably does have a few, right? But <laughs> it's still awesome, right? Now, some of them, though, some of them we look at and we're like, well, that doesn't, that is not very, you know, enjoyable or, or lovely or that doesn't really look like that baby in the picture, right? I know. Some sort of demon spawn baby thing, right? I don't know. I feel like it would crawl upside down on your ceiling and like drop on you or something, right? But, uh, some of them, you know, some of them we see them and we're like, well, I don't know if I'd really go that route. But then there's others. There are just a few that I see and I think, oh my Lord, that is amazing. This is probably my favorite tattoo I've ever seen in my life. In case you can't read it, it says, roses are red, my name's Dave. This poem makes no sense, microwave. <laughs> and I love this tattoo so much. I want, I want my name to be Dave, and then I want to get that tattoo. And the thing is, though, what I love about tattoos isn't just the fact that they sometimes are insane, right? Like, I like some. I don't like others, but I love them all because every tattoo is some sort of expression of something that someone believes way down here, right? Like, every single tattoo is this creative just outpouring of someone's beliefs or values. Really, every single tattoo that you see it is art, it's art. Because when we look at this idea of art, this is just the straight-up dictionary definition, we see that art itself is an expression of creative skill and imagination, that it produces works to be appreciated primarily for the beauty or emotional power. And we look out into our world and we see so much of this creative expression, even in tattoos of 
babies that don't look like babies, right? Like it's still there though, right? You know there's some sort of belief or value in the midst of that. There's some sort of creative expression. And I love that. It's so cool to get those little glimpses into people's souls, right? Sometimes it's terrifying, but sometimes it's beautiful. And the truth is, is that we are all currently creating. We're all currently expressing ourselves creatively. All semester, we've been talking about culture, right? All semester, we've been looking at this idea that culture matters, that we're in the middle of this culture around us, and that we are called first and foremost to react to that culture using God's grace, his Bible, and his church. And as we are reacting to the culture around us with those core pieces— Last week, we talked about how we are supposed to be creating, how the only way to change a culture is to create new culture, something fresh and different that people are attracted to. And as we're creating, last week we talked about how we should be creating for God, right? Not out of pride, not out of a sense of protection, but instead we create out of the person of God, about who he is and what he's done. So this morning, I want to take it into a new realm. We're kind of leaving our foundation of kind of what we do with culture, and we're moving into our very first realm. We're moving into art and beauty and creativity. We're moving into this realm, and we're asking ourselves, how do I create for God? How do I create something beautiful for the Lord rather than for myself? Because the truth is, like I said, we are all currently creating. We're all expressing ourselves creatively. We're all creating art, whether it's the way that we decorate our home or the way that we dress ourselves in the morning, whether it's through music or writing or film or photography. We all express ourselves creatively in some way. Maybe you have that Pinterest board just perfect, right? All those, I don't know, oven mitts. I I don't know. But like there's something on there and you're like, yes. Right? Because you're expressing yourself creatively. You've created art in that space. But let me ask you, is it for God? Are you creating art for the Lord? See, what's sad is that our church has spent so much time in our current culture about condemning art. Right? Our church has been very, very loud and clear on the certain things that they don't like. Right? Like, the video games are too violent, or like, the music is way too weird. Music's the devil, right? And the Hollywood, Holly weird, right? And they get really weird, mixed up and angry and they're just condemning these different pieces in our culture and they're condemning all these different types of art. But yet the church is silent when it comes to how do we create art? And it's left tons of Christian artists and musicians people who design, people who create these amazing works of beauty. It's left them with no direction, no, nowhere to go, no, no point on the horizon to chase. And so because of that, in our culture, our realms of, of music and film, of art, it's lacking in Christian influence because people don't go there because they're told over and over, no art, blah, bad. But that's not the solution. That's not what we should be doing. We are not called to condemn art around us. We're not called to condemn books and music and these different things. No, we are supposed to create something new. We create art. When we look in Scripture, it is very clear that we are called to glorify the Lord through our art. And as we read Scripture, we see two big questions that we need to answer. We need to ask ourselves, why are we creating art? If we're supposed to create for the Lord, what does that really mean? Why? And then how? How do we create things for 
the Lord? How do we create art for him? Our world tells us it's to create an idol. It's to present an idol. Right? They won't say that maybe word for word, but that's what happens. Right? We live in a culture where we love art and we worship artists. Right? That's why in America, you look out, you see a guy named like Robert Downey Jr. Okay? Awesome actor. He's got like a cool goatee. He can like smirk really good. And like, that's it. That's all you need, right? And then you, you just make last year $75 million. $75 million. Because people see him, they're like, hey, nice smirk. Here, money, right? And they just throw it at him. Like, please be in our film because we want you so badly. $75 million. We look out and we see uh, these people like J.J. Abrams. And you're like, yeah, I, I know that name. Maybe you know what he's done. Like he's a director and a producer. But the fact that you know his name is incredible. He's a director. Like he's not even a big like movie star. He's just the guy behind the camera. And yet we know his name because our culture loves artists. We love to lift up these people who create art. Our culture lifts up musicians, right? They make crazy money. We have people like Miley Cyrus who had a video where she used construction equipment, not quite how it was supposed to be used, right? And she had this video and she put it up on YouTube. Right? And she said, okay, here we go. Blah. And I think she like tweeted about it. Within 24 hours, okay, 24 hours, it had 20 million views. 20 million views. Because our culture, man, we love art and the artists. That's why we give them our money. That's why we give them our time. That's why this past week on Tuesday, Grand Theft Auto V came out. And some guys were really excited about that. In which case, I'm actually surprised you're here. I would have thought you'd be playing, all right? But Grand Theft Auto V came out, video game. It's really cool or something. And so like, all these people get excited about it, right? And they're like, yes, like the midnight release parties and all this crazy stuff. So in 24 hours of, being, of it being released on Tuesday, 24 hours, it made $800 million. $800 million. Do you realize how big that number is? Like, that's huge. Within the first three days, it crossed the $1 billion mark. Because our culture looks at art and at those created things and they say, yes, take my time, take my money, take what I have because I want to worship you, I lift you up because our culture says art is meant to be presented as an idol, something to be glorified and worshiped. That's why we see in Exodus 32, the chapters leading up to it, Moses is hanging out with the Israelites. They're walking through the desert. And God says, hey, Moses, let's talk up on this mountain. So Moses says, all right, cool. And so he goes up the mountain. And then all the Israelites are left at the bottom of the mountain, just kind of chilling. And at one point, while they're sitting there waiting for Moses, who's been gone for a little while, uh, one of the, someone says, hey, you know, maybe we should just take all of our gold and melt it. And after we melt it, we can form it into the shape of a cow. And then we will worship it as our God, right? And someone else said, I love that idea. Let's do it. And so they do it. Like they create this golden calf, right? And they create it and they start worshiping it. They're like, oh, golden calf, thank you so much for, I don't know, udders. I don't know. Like they're, they're worshiping it, right? And Moses is talking to God on this mountain. And he gets all these instructions from God and all this guidance. And he's like, okay, thanks, God. And so he get, grabs all this stuff and he's walking down the mountain. He's like, hey, I'm just going to go talk to the people. I'll be right back, you know. And he walks down and he looks out on the Israelites. And he says, what? 
what are you doing? Right? He gets so upset that he just starts throwing things at him and he breaks the calf. Because he's like, what are you doing? You've created something and then you've started worshiping it as a god? You've given it time and money and then you've decided that it is somehow worthy of, of worship and, and glory? It's like, that makes no sense. But our culture does that. That's why you look out and you see that a fourth, okay, 25% of every single internet search term or search in America, one out of four is for pornography. That's why you look out in America, you see $14 billion spent annually, $14 billion on pornography in America. Because we've taken something, we've taken things like art and, and writing, and we've combined them together with people that are naked, and we put it all together in this little box, and we twist it. And we say, you know what? We're just going to kind of make this into a creation that we're going to worship, that I'm going to give so much time and so much money into. And the whole time, God's saying, that's, that's wrong. That's not what that's for. Because when we look in Scripture, God says, no, you don't create art to present an idol. You create, you create art to present an idea to communicate a message. That's why repeatedly in Scripture we see this idea that we are called as Christians to create art that communicates something, some sort of message, some sort of just little piece of God's truth about us or the world or people or whatever. And what's sad is that our culture, we, we pick up on that a little bit. Like you look at it in our nation, we, we almost, we're almost there of realizing that true, great art has a message. That's why you look out like the top-rated shows. Okay, I looked up top shows from last year. Like a few of the top 10 or top five were Breaking Bad. Okay, high, like that was the highest rated. Breaking Bad, Walking Dead, Downton Abbey. Right? Someone has recognized at least one of those. Probably most of us all, right? Because maybe you've seen the show, maybe you haven't, but by golly, you have a friend who watches it. Right? And they let you know about it. Right? Because that's what happens with those shows. That people become these like f- diehard fanatics. They're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a breaking head. I don't know what it's called. But like, right, they're like so excited. Like, yeah, breaking bad. Or like walking dead. Zombies, right? And people love to discuss it and talk about it. Because all of those shows share a common theme, a common thread. In that they create a message that they encourage you to absorb and discuss. Right? Breaking bad goes out and people say, man, what, what would you do? You ran out of money and you got cancer and, and you had to provide. Would you make meth? I don't know. Maybe. I think I know how now, right? Like, maybe I should, right? Or you see shows of Walking Dead and people say, oh, man, what would you do in a zombie apocalypse, right? Would you, like, kill people or, like, use a bat or a gun? Like, what would you do? You know, like, that's crazy. Or the Downton Abbey goes out and people are like, man, what would you do if you were British? And people are like, oh, I don't know. Like, it looks... It looks really crazy. I don't know if I can handle it. Let's, no, let's just go, man. Let's turn it off, right? Because they get these ideas and they have these messages. They're like, yeah, like I'm going to, ah, I kind of want to engage with it. I want to discuss it with my friends because our culture sees, you know what? Art should have something to it. It should have that communication. It should have a message because that's the best way for us to engage with truth, to engage and absorb a message is through creative expression. That's why this sermon right now, I have slides and pictures and stories and different examples because I realize that you don't just engage with like a lecture 
as they listen to God's word. That'd be really ineffective. And you'd be like, "Mm, peace, right? Because you don't absorb that. you You don't engage with that. We need some sort of creative expression in order to really engage with a truth. And that's why we see throughout Scripture God communicating through art. This is amazing. You see in uh, Jeremiah, or for, sorry, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, God's talking to Samuel, and he says this. He says, after that, you shall go to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. And you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Right here, God's telling him, look, you're going to find some prophets. All the prophet was back then, that just meant that you spoke on behalf of God. That you're a messenger of God. He says, you're going to find these men that are my messengers. They're my prophets. And you know what they're doing, Samuel? They're singing and dancing and banging tambourines. Like they're using music. That's how they're communicating my truth through art, through music. How many times have you just heard a song, whether it's in your car or maybe at a church service or at a camp, where God just, man, he just grabs you and he communicates something to you in that moment through that music. Maybe this just like 20 minutes ago with John and Sarah, maybe there was one of those songs as we were singing it, you realized, wow, there's something wrong or there's something right and and the Spirit's moving in your heart and He directs you into a prayer and it's amazing that God communicates to us through that art, through that beautiful song. We see God communicating in Ezekiel. He tells Ezekiel, look, you're going to go out and you're going to build this little model city. And after you build that city, what you're going to do is you're going to go to this other area, you're going to kind of lay out and take this position and you're just going to stay like that for a while. All right, Ezekiel, that's what you're going to do. And you're an image. You're, you're creating this, this message to my people. So people would walk by and they'd see Ezekiel and he's just kind of hanging out, like standing still. Or I think he was laying. And they'd be like, what's, like, what's going on? And like through that moment, like through that weird interaction, they'd be like, okay, wow. Yeah, God is, God's coming. Right? Or something. Like they would get some sort of message through a performance art piece, right? Like that's like those guys that paint themselves silver and stand on boxes, outside of like theme parks or whatever. You know, like that's, that's what he was doing. Like the robot thing and like they moonwalks. Everyone's like, woo, right? Like that's, that's what Ezekiel was doing. He was performing art and that's how God was communicating to his people. We look in Jeremiah where he tells him, hey, look, Jeremiah, go take these undergarments. All right, now hide them in a rock. Leave them there for a while. Go back, get the undergarments from the rock. They're going to be really gross, Jeremiah. That's what God says. He says they are going to be so gross. But you're going to present them to people. And show them that this is a sign of, you know, whatever. And God is communicating through this, like, strange art. Right? There's no other word for that. It's like a painting construction that displays a truth about God. It has a message held within it. We see God moving in Hosea, where he tells Hosea, go, marry this woman. She's adulterous, right? She's kind of like a prostitute. But you're going to marry her. You're going to have some kids. Settle down. She's going to leave you, cheat on you multiple times. You're going to keep going back and grabbing her and bringing her back and convincing her and loving her, loving her no matter what, Hosea, because this is a dramatic recreation of my relationship with my people. He commanded Hosea to live out 
a play, a drama. He commanded Hosea into art to communicate his truth. That's why we ultimately see Hebrews 1 describing long ago, right, Star Wars style, rolling credits, long ago. As many, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We see ultimately in Hebrews that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, as an expression of himself, as a creative expression of how God felt about us, about his desire to redeem us, his desire to bring us back to himself. We see that Christ came and lived on this earth a perfect life and died a death that we deserved. We see that he rose again, proving power over sin and over death. We see that happen. We see the opportunity to put our faith in him for the forgiveness of our sins, for salvation. We see it because of art. Because he was a creative expression. He was beauty created, moving. That's what the story of Christ is about. That's what the gospel is. It's the most beautiful piece of art that we've ever seen. There is a message in all great art. Why do we create it? To bring forth a message from God, to glorify Him, to point towards Him. Right now, the danger with that, though, is that people kind of grabbed a hold of that a while back. And they thought, yeah, okay, there needs to be a message about God in my art. All right, I get it. Like, we need to have this sort of, you know, godly part to it. And so because of that, they then became incredibly limited in their art. All right, so they figured out why. Like, why do I create art? Well, it's for God, right? It's to communicate a truth from him to the world, to people. But then when they got to the how, they got all mixed up. And they said, oh, well, so how does that really work? And they couldn't really figure it out. But fortunately, in Exodus 31... God is calling his people to create art. And he says, I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. Right here we see God is speaking to Moses. He's telling him about these people in the Israelite camp that he's going to gather to himself and build a tabernacle. And as God is calling them to build art, to create beautiful things, for himself. It's not limited. It's diverse. Right? People have heard, you know, if I'm supposed to make things for God, well, that means it has to just be like incredibly explicitly religious. That's what they've decided about art. That's what Christians, that's what some church decided like in the 50s. And so ever since then, everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah, if it's Christian art, then it's got to be like super holy or like super, like just punch you in the face with Jesus or something, right? And so when I looked up on Google, right, just First two results on Google Images for Christian art. It's this. Sheep Jesus and baby Jesus, right? Which isn't too bad, right? Like you're like, okay, 
That kind, you know, there should probably be some Jesus in Christian art, right? That makes sense. But the problem is that people then thought, you know what? It's got to be just, if Jesus isn't in it, I don't know if it's art, right? That's probably not Christian, that's for sure. And so they started condemning the other artists. They said, no, Jesus has to be in Christian art. And so you look just further down the results and it gets awesome. Oh my gosh. We see, where are you? That's the title. And it's a girl standing in her room saying, where are you? And then ghost Jesus is right behind her. Saying like, I'm right here. You know, like, whoa. Like, and he's like phasing through her or something. I don't know. It's weird. Like, it's so strange. Like, this, this is not encouraging. Like, this would terrify children. They're like, that's where Jesus, like, what? Like, that's strange. Right? But people think, no, like, this has to be how Christian art goes. That's what led eventually, and I'd, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't incredibly happy about this. It led to Hulk Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Because, yeah, art, right? Like, apparently, someone said, you know what? Jesus seems to be, like, crazy ripped, right? He's just, like, breaking the cross. Like, I guess it's symbolic, but I don't know. Like, this is, this is really intense, right? But someone decided, you know what? This is, but this is art. Like, this is what we have to do. If we want to be Christians who are artists, we've got to just be explicitly Christian. We've got to be so limited in our scope of art that they have now boxed themselves into this horrible little alleyway where a guy named Steve Turner wrote an awesome book on the subject called A Vision for Christians in the Arts. He says, in this way, Christian art is not distinguished by a regenerated outlook on the whole of life, but by a narrow focus on Bible stories, saints, martyrs, and the individual's relationship with God. He says, Christian art in this sense is usually an aid to worship or means of evangelism. And now those things aren't bad. Right? Like it's not bad to create art about those things or to use it in worship or to use it in evangelism. Right? You show someone on the street Hulk Jesus, they might get saved. I don't know. Like that might work. But he's saying there's a problem with this. Steve goes on to say the problem that has affected the church down through the ages with regard to art can be put very simply. How much of life is Christ to be Lord over? Is he only interested in that part of life we think of as religious or spiritual? Or is he interested in every facet of our lives, body, soul, mind, spirit? The sort of art we make as Christians will illustrate our answer. See, the problem with making explicitly religious art, the problem of of having that limited scope, that limited view of art, is it limits our view of God. If every piece of art that we create has to have like the cross or it has to have an angel or it has to have the dove, well, what are we saying about God? That he's not present in beautiful mountainscapes? That he's not present in awesome just like photos of, of people? That he's not present in abstract art or music that's about a really bad breakup? Why would we limit God to these things if he's also present and Lord over all of these other pieces? We draw this line between sacred and secular, and it's insane. There's no reason for it, because we are limiting God when we do it. And it goes against what God did in Exodus, in Scripture, over and over again. That's why we see him talking to Moses. He says, look, when we're going to create this church for myself, when we create this tabernacle, in other words, just a mobile church that the Israelites would use, He says, I want to use stone. I want to use wood. I want to use gold. I want to use silver. I want to use bronze. 
He wants to use all of these different things. He wants to be diverse in his art, in his beauty. And he doesn't add like, oh, and make sure there's a Bible verse on every single stone. Like that's not part of his deal. God is diverse in his art. And so should we. Because he's not only diverse in his art in the church, we also see him being diverse in the art that he created and the beauty that he created out in our world. That's why we see things like this, fire rainbows, okay? Best name ever, fire rainbow. That's what it's called. Like, I think it's scientific. Fire rainbows exist. This isn't a real photo where uh, there's, it's not just, you know, you're used to rainbows kind of being in the middle of the day or like the sprinkler system or whatever. And you see the like little thing, you're like, cool. No, like this exists. Like this is the reflection of light in clouds. Like it happens on clouds where you can see these, just these beautiful colors, But not only do you see rainbows like normal or fire rainbows, you also can see night rainbows. No joke. This is not a fake photoshopped photo. Like, this is real. You can see rainbows at night, which is crazy. Because God is diverse. Because he has created our world with a diverse beauty. So what if we were to approach our church with diverse beauty? What if we could do that? What if we could approach this place and bring in our our music and our film and our graphic design and our writing? What if we could bring our our dancing and our painting and we can bring in our our photography? What if we brought in all of these different elements, these diverse things? What if we brought all of them together and created something that was just beautiful? What could this room look like? This literal physical room. What could this physical room look like? if we brought these talents and these giftings to bear? Because right now it's bleh, right? Let's just be honest. Like that's that's what this room is. But what if we just changed it? What if we brought these things that we had, these gifts that God has given us? What if we weren't just focused on our church? So what if we went out into our world and brought our music and our film and our design, our photography and our writing I have a doulos leader who, what he is passionate about, the, the beauty that he creates is uh, he takes old straight razors and he restores them to new life. That's what he does. And that's awesome. That's so different. Like I never would have even imagined like, oh yeah, people love razors. I, like I never would have gone down that path at all. But he had the idea. God gifted him in a way that he wants to spend the time and care of perfecting this old like antique razor and then selling it to someone. What if we did that? What if we went out into our world and brought those gifts to bear? Not just for the sense of having these cool, beautiful things that we just kind of throw out there, but beautiful things that we create that carry some sort of message, that start some sort of conversation where someone approaches us about our photography and they say, gosh, that was a beautiful portrait. Who was that? You say, that's my sister took the photo right after she had this, you know, incredible experience, or right after this, or, or man, this, this, this guy that I met heard a great story about how God redeemed him. Man, I love that painting of that flower. Yeah, I know, it's, it was just this field I was in, and I was just marveling at the beauty that God created in our world, and I just had to capture it. What if we went out and created art with that message in our world? It would be amazing. So let's do it. 
Let's create diverse beauty in our church and in our world. But as we are being diverse, as we're seeking those things, we need to be aware that Christians often not only fall in the area of diversity, they often fail when it comes to detail, when it comes to quality. Whenever we look at what Christians create, the Christian art, at some point someone decided, you know what, we should just applaud every explicitly religious thing, even if it's terrible. Right? And they made people feel bad if they criticized it. Right? There'd be like these movies and these books coming out and people would be like, that, like, that makes no sense. And like, well, you hate, does Jesus make sense? Like, you hate Jesus, right? Is that what it, like they would have these like, hor- and people would be like, oh, I guess not. And that was all like in the 80s. And so now everyone's just like, yeah, Christian stuff. Like, oh, that sounds terrible, but I guess I like it. Like you just applaud it reactively. It's led to things like, which is pretty amazing. We're just going to watch this clip. Okay, I'm not even, I, I wanted to give you backstory. I'm not going to. I just want us to absorb this, all right? Prepare yourself for what Christians have brought into our world. Hey, son. Jesus, man. Roll credits. Yes! <laughs> that is the conclusion of a film that I use that term so loosely, of a film called Second Glance. Oh, goodness gracious, Second Glance. How much I love to hate you. This is the poster for Second Glance, okay? This is the cover of if you had bought it from your movie store in the 90s when it came out. And it gives you a brief synopsis of the film. It says, Dan Burgess is a Christian. Dan Burgess thinks he's not impacting anyone for the Lord. Dan Burgess thinks he's missing out on all the fun. Dan Burgess wants out of the Christian life. Then, one day, Dan Burgess is forced to take a second glance, right? Cue the 40-year-olds hanging out in the high school. All right. And this is a 50-minute film that exists that was, like, sold for money. And this happened, Because Christians at some point decided, you know what? Who really cares if it's that good? Let's just throw it out there, say Jesus like a dozen times. We'll have a close with that thing, right? Basically, uh, the synopsis of the film, the real synopsis, which I only have because one of my old youth leaders actually went and bought the movie and watched it all. He owns it, and I love him for that. Because he saw that Jesus man clip and was just like, I got to watch the whole thing. Like, that's... That's not enough. And so he watched the whole thing and he told me, man, what basically what happens is Dan here, man, he just goes out. He, he actually wishes, he says, oh, I wish I was never a Christian because he's like getting bullied and stuff. And so then he wakes up the next day and he's wearing a different colored shirt. He's like, what is this all about? And he goes to school and the bullies are his friends and that girl likes him. He's like, what? And he's like, this is awesome. And it turns out it's like he was never a Christian to begin with. But then he gets home and he finds out like his parents are divorced. And it's like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, why is that at all connected to his Christianity? And then you find out he has a gambling addiction where he like won this car. And it's like insane. And he goes to this party where they all have red solo cups and they're drinking. And he's like, whoa. And it's just, it's this horrible, just like journey that he takes where eventually he like realizes he's like, no, this is bad. I hate not being a Christian. And he's like banging on this wall. And then he like wakes up and he realizes, oh, it was all just a dream. Whoa. And there's an angel somewhere in there too. I don't remember. But That all happens, and it it ends, it concludes. That was literally the last 
portion of the film where he walks up to his friend Scotty, who he led to Christ earlier in the film, and he says, hey, Scotty, Jesus, man. And you're just like, oh, man, like this is, what a horrific representation of our God, right? That's, that's so terrible because that is just, there's nothing redeeming about this film. But somehow people decide, no, like we just, we have to applaud it. Like we have to be like, yeah, good job. Like these people have made multiple films because people are like, no, yeah, you're, you're good because you say Jesus in it. But we look in scripture, God never does this. Like God never like, this is not his jam. Like he does not create with that inattention to detail, with that low quality. When we look at his tabernacle in, 31, in Exodus 31, we see him going into incredible detail, describing the table and its utensils and this lampstand and the altar and this other altar and the burnt offerings and the garments and the oils. And we see God going through and covering all these sensory things, these clothes and these oils and these fragrances. And we see God creating with excellence. We see him creating beauty. We see him creating art with detail. Not only in his church, but we look out into our world and we see this, right? And there's this guy and he's staying in the middle of what looks like snowflakes, right? But they're not snowflakes. This is incredible. These are called frost flowers. And these exist in nature, naturally, where imperfections fall in this freezing water. And then it starts to freeze and then more water kind of goes up because that's how water like does. And so it goes up and it freezes and freezes and freezes and it creates these beautiful, beautiful just collections of, of water and frozen dirt because our God creates with incredible detail because he creates with excellence in all things. Man, what if we came into our churches with that same drive, with that same attention when I started college ministry this semester, I, I was given kind of a challenge by another pastor. He said, look, you need to walk into this. And it's all going to be new. And the temptation when you walk into something new is you just ask, okay, so how does, this, how does it work? Like, what, what's going on? But he says, no, instead of that, you know what you want to ask? You ask, how can it be better? Not how is it done, not how does it exist. How can it be better? Because we are called to move into our environments and improve them, to bring excellence, to look at those details. That's why we see this, uh, this opportunity in this room right now. How can we make this better? How can we make the art better? What if all of you decided when you showed up, you know, I'm just going to find something that I can make better about the beauty, about the art, about the creative expression that happens on Sunday nights. What could be better about our worship? What could be better about just our aesthetics? What could be better about the, the way that we present ourselves? What could be better about our design, our graphics, our images? What could be better? Tell me. Help me. Because God calls us to constantly be creating this art that is excellent, that is better, not only in our church, but out in our world. So how can you go out and approach maybe your self-image, the way that you present yourselves, right? That just most basic expression of creativity. How can you make that better? In your words or your dress. How can you make the music that you're creating better? How can you make the, the photos that you take, the movies that you film? How can you make these things better? How can you make the house that you have been placed in charge of that smells just horrible, if you're a dude, probably, right? How can you make that better? How can you move into those areas 
of art, of creative expression? How can you bring excellence? Because, man, if that was our mindset, if we went out, things would change. And as we do those things, remember, it's not, again, just for it to be awesome. So people are like, wow, awesome house or awesome photo. We make them better. We make them excellent so that people will notice them and it starts a conversation. It brings forth a message. It brings forth an idea rather than an idol. It starts a conversation that leads to the truth that God loves them and wants them. That he sent his son to die for them. That's why we make it better. That's why we give it not only diversity but also detail in our art. Now as we do those things, just kind of as we wrap up, I'm just going to give you two kind of closing principles, right? kind of little ways to kind of help you navigate. Maybe as you're thinking about, okay, yeah, I, I create in this way or I create in this realm, I create this art. Realize, you know, if you're not the best artist or whatever, like that doesn't mean you're still not an artist, right? Like you can be pretty bad, but still an artist. But you can still be creatively expressing yourself in some way. Don't, don't hold yourself up to other people's standards. And as you're trying to become better, Right, that requires a lot of, uh, if, if you're trying to increase your diversity, that means that you have to enjoy other people's art, other people's creations. That's why all the best authors, they read a ton of books. The best directors watch a lot of movies. The best musicians listen to a ton of music because they realize in order for m- me to create with diversity, I need to experience it. My only challenge to you is as you're doing that, just filter it, filter your consumption. Ask yourself, like, how much am I watching this? Or, like, or how much am I kind of taking this in? Am I worshiping it? What, what is the message being communicated to me? Because right, remember, all great art has a message. So what is it? Just, I'm not saying you have to like, just throw it out. Like, like, but just think about like, what is it saying? Just filter it. And not only filter what you consume, but filter your community that you experience it with. Because much of the art that we experience and enjoy is done in community. Ask yourself, who am I doing these things with? Are they in a place where they can think critically about these things? Should I be promoting this show or this movie or this music? Should I be promoting these different things to these people? Am I putting a stumbling block in front of my brother or my sister when I say these things online or in a text message or whatever? Just have a filter, right? Just think about it as you're consuming those things, as you're seeking diversity. And as you're seeking detail, I mean, it requires just a lot of practice, right? Again, that's why the best authors, they just write a ton. Musicians are constantly making music. You see this idea of of honing your craft, of practicing, of being developed. So my encouragement and my challenge to you is to come and practice with us. Not all of us have great outlets or areas where we can be developed and perform and create. But the church, man, this right here, this is a time where you can. We have so many opportunities for, for music. Man, if you want to lead in worship, if you want to help uh, with sound. And our sound guys, like right there. You see one of them right there? His head's down. Oh, now it's up. <laughs> right? They need your help. David needs your help because there's only one David and he can't do everything. So maybe that's where you want to create. You can help us, uh, help us, but we can help you and develop you in that and train you. Maybe you, you can create in, you know, uh, IT or maybe you create in graphic design. Maybe you create uh, in, in decorations, right? Maybe you just, you have a really artistic mind, whether you're painting or drawing or, or maybe you can just like make this room again, not bleh, right? We've, we've been over this, like this room, bleh, 
Blah. It's so bad. That's why we keep the lights so low. So it's like, don't look at the room. Like, just look up here, right? Like, help us, right? Send me an email, right? Message me on Twitter. Like, contact me somehow. Talk to me after the service. Let's, Let's talk. Help us develop this space. Let us develop you. Let us partner together to give you an area to create and express yourself, to create art and beauty so that you can be prepared in this church to go out into the world and be better, to bring diversity and to bring detail to those things. I want my inbox to be filled with 200 emails of people like, I'll think this is, bring it, please. Because we want you guys to create. We want to answer this call to create art for God's glory, to create art and beauty with a message that points to him. So as we pray, let me just challenge you. As we sing a couple more songs, just be thinking along these lines, asking God, where can you create? Where are you being led? Where has he gifted you? What could be developed in your life that maybe you just kind of pushed off or, or thought like, oh, it's not, doesn't have a place here. Ask him those things. Ask for his direction. Let's pray. Lord, we are just so grateful that you have surrounded us with so much beauty. That, Lord, you have surrounded us with so much creativity that, God, we just look out into your world and we see rainbows and frost flowers. That, God, we see these things that are in and of themselves beautiful. God, we thank you that you were the original artist, that God, you were the original creator. And Lord, we thank you that you made us in your image to be creators, to continue creating, God, to continue being artists. Lord, we just ask that we would use these abilities, that we would use these gifts for you, that God, we would create art that presents an idea of who you are, of what you've done, That God, whether it's explicitly religious or not, that Lord, it would somehow direct people towards you. So if you would take this minute just right now and ask the Lord, where is he calling you to create? Where is he calling you to express yourself creatively? Maybe you feel like there's, you can't make anything beautiful. Just, I promise you, there is something I promise you that God has an area where you can go and create and be an artist. Ask him to show you it. Spend that time right now just asking him, where are you called to create? Where can you bring diversity and detail, whether it's in his church or in his world? Ask him that right now.